Welcome to the Protectors Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Piccolo. I'd like to welcome to the show, Eli Crane. You may know him from Bottle Breacher, and he's also a former Navy SEAL. How are you doing today, Eli? Doing great, Jason. Thanks for having me on, man. Man, this is like, uh, I'm like having a great guest list going on now. You are my sixth guest, and uh, really excited to have you on, man. Right on. I'm excited to be here. Well, first of all, we a lot of people may know you from Bottle Breacher. They may know you're a Navy SEAL, but what about where you grew up? Can you kind of give us a quick snapshot or, you know, going as much yeah, as you want about your, about your background? Yeah, so I grew up in uh, Arizona. I was born in Tucson, where I live now, and then uh, moved down to uh, Yuma, Arizona when I was about two years old, and then uh, stayed, grew up there and was raised there until I was probably about uh, 18 years old and then came back to Tucson to uh, start school. Now, how did the Navy come into all this? Uh, so the Navy, uh, kind of a cool story for me. Um, I, I, everybody in my family and friends and mentors told me, hey, if you do want to go into the military, which I did, go in as an officer. So, um, so go, obviously you have to go to school first. And so I started going to school um, first at Arizona Western and then it then transferred over to U of A and I was starting my senior year at U of A and nine eleven happened. And uh, my heart, you know, even though I was in the classroom every day, my heart really wasn't there. I was just kind of getting a degree so I could become an officer. And, um, you know, my heart was, uh, in Coronado, San Diego and, uh, field training. And so, I, uh, the week after nine eleven, I signed up for the Navy, went immediately to boot camp, Went to Buds, classed up with Buds class 242, uh, made it through Hell Week, which is our probably our toughest week of training there. And then I was performance drop a week and a half later. So had a pretty tough uh, run of things, but to be honest with you, I deserved it. And I went out. I was I was told uh, by the instructor, Cadre, there, young man, you know, you got a lot of heart. You're tough, but you're not the best of the best. And that's what we need here and uh, and I'm glad that they held that standard so they said we recommend that you come back in a year and I had an opportunity to pick orders to either like Japan Jacksonville or Virginia and I picked Jacksonville Florida and wound up on the USS Gettysburg and even though I was told I could come back in a year uh, the command the, the captain on the ship wouldn't let me go and so I spent two and a half years on the ship and then thankfully got an opportunity to come back and class up with buzz class 256 now, how do you, you know, how do you train for something like that? Like, were you in really good shape when you came out of college that you were like, you know what, hey, I can go right into buds? Or were you like, oh, man, I got to, because you know how to swim? I mean, you're living in Yuma, Arizona. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say I was a decent swimmer. I was always decent in the water growing up. And, you know, I was, uh, my job when I was in Tucson, the last job I had was as a lifeguard. So I wasn't a great swimmer, but I was, you know, I would pay in seals, you know, considered to a lot of the guys that show up to buds, but I was, I was better than the average guy in the water. And so, um, that was actually part of my problem that I didn't show up in great shape. I had, I talked to a seal who was like, you know, I kind of asked him, 
um, Hey man, how long should I wait? Like what kind of shape should I be in? And he, he was like, Hey, you know, can you do, can you pass the screen test? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, then don't wait, go. And, uh, you know, that was, that was a much different time where they, they had a tough time filling their seats. Um, and, uh, only they were filling about 60% of their seats at the time. Now they, you know, it, it's really tough to get into the program just cause they've got so much notoriety. Um, and a lot of, a lot of young men want to, you know, test themselves in that way and, and serve their country in that way. Um, but I, you know, I kind of had this attitude that, you know, I'll just, as long as I can do the bare minimum, I'll just show up. And that, that did not work well, <laughs> you know, hindsight being what it is, that should have been kind of obvious, but I was just like, yeah, I mean, he said, you know, if I can pass the screen test, go ahead and show, you know, just enlist and get out there. And yeah, that didn't work so well. Yeah, I'd imagine that, like, if you're hearing from, like, a regular, hey, this guy's an Navy SEAL, who knows what he's talking about? But, like, yeah, why the Navy, too? How come they didn't go to the uh, the same U.S. Army Special Forces? You know, because um, a lot of it boiled down to research that I was doing. Um, I was just, you know, reading a lot on Special Forces and, like, you know, what the training was like and, you know, what what you would do when you got out. I mean, obviously, you know, there, there's some crossover, but you know, there's also some differences. And, um, I think the thing that really drew me to the SEAL teams was several of the sources that I was researching, you know, said it was the toughest training in the department of defense. Now, obviously you're going to have people that, you know, argue that, but, uh, clearly those people don't know what the hell they're talking about. You know, maybe SEAL training is the toughest training in the world. And, um, and so that, I think I really wanted to test myself in that way. And, my dad gave me a piece of advice when I was in high school. He said, he said, the trick to being happy in your career is to basically pick something that you would do for free, you know, and that kind of stuck with me. And he was basically, you know, he'd go on to say, you know, if they provided room and board and basically gave you what you needed to live and survive, but you enjoyed your job so much that you would do it for free. You know, that's kind of the advice I'm going to give you. And so that stuck with me. And as I was reading and doing research, you know, on the special special programs and whatnot. And I was reading through the, you know, SEAL qualifications. I love the ocean. I was fascinated by it. Um, and just the diversity of that, of that, you know, culture and that community, how they, you know, they, they operated in the ocean, but they also did everything else as well. And that was one of the things that I found out when I got to the SEAL teams is, you know, when, when you're doing a 18 month workup, maybe, maybe two, you know, two, three three months max out of that is, you know, in the water, everything else was on land. So, um, you know, just a lot of diversity and I, I thought it would just be an amazing opportunity. Uh, you know what? And I'm actually going to steal that now and tell my kids, pick something that you would do for free. Yeah. yeah. We, we have kids. I mean, our kids are pretty young and, uh, you know, that's one of the things you have to do is just, you know, you don't want to get 20, 30 years in your career and go, man, I wish I could go back. Yeah. And really like, Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you go. No, my old man, you know, he's, God bless him. You know, he's a pharmacist and, uh, you know, I think he chose the route he did, you know, because there was good pay. It was a, you know, a budding career. Um, and, and there was a lot of flexibility back then, especially if you moved out West. And so I think, you know, he chose stability and looking back on it, you know, he's told me many times, you know, if I could go back and do it all over again, this is not the decision I would make. And I think he just broke that down and, and, you know, he, he definitely encouraged me not to, not to seek money or stability kind of like, like in job security, like he did, but 
go go after something you're passionate about. And so, you know, I'm really, you know, I haven't always taken every piece of advice, you know, that I've been given over the years and, uh, I've made a lot of mistakes and learned things the hard way because of it. But that was one thing I latched onto. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't want to wind up there. I don't want that, you know, that midlife crisis and that I don't want to always be wondering what if could I have done it? You know, do, do I have what it takes? And I think that's, you know, going through some of the training that I've gone through in my life. I think that's one of the most important questions that a young man especially can have answered is, do I have what it takes? And if you, you know, if you swing for the fences and and you jump into the deep end and you go, you know, to Navy SEAL training, you're going to find out real quick if you have what it takes. And that's the thing about your story. It's, it sets you apart is you, you know, you did your SEAL training, you did your multiple deployments, Iraq, 2006, 8, 10. And then, hey, you know what? During the full time, you're like, maybe there's something else. Is that what you're thinking? And you're like, hey, I'm going to become an entrepreneur. Where does that come from? Yeah, exactly. You know, I never, I never joined the SEAL teams, you know, wanting to make a career out of it necessarily. I just really wanted to serve my country at a high level and challenge myself and, you know, after my third deployment to Iraq, um, you know, we had a, we had a, a daughter and, you know, one that was coming down the pipe pretty soon. But, um, it, it always bothered me that my oldest daughter, you know, in her early years was afraid of me just because not necessarily afraid of me, but she was really standoffish around me when I'd come home just because I was gone so much. She really didn't know who I was. And that really bothered me because my time with her was so limited. And so, um, that's something that, you know, stuck in, stuck in my brain. And, and I also, I'm the type of person that I like to mix things up and I like variety. And so after my third deployment to Iraq, you know, I, I knew I was either going to have to do something different in the SEAL teams or I was going to need to get out. And, you know, I just felt like, you know, I wanted to be home for my family more and, um, and yeah, so that, that was the decision I made that I was going to get out. And unlike a lot of guys, I think one of the things that helped set me up for success is I made that decision early and I, I actually re-enlisted in, um, my last re-enlistment in the Navy was in 2010. I was overseas in Fallujah, Iraq, and I re-enlisted for four years with the plan that I was going to do everything I could, um, to prepare, you know, to get out. And so, you know, uh, re-enlisted, I was able to give my, my daughters, you know, my GI bills to help, you know, set that in motion so that they could go to, you know, have an easier time going to school down the road. And then I started, you know, working on, you know, working on a degree. And also I started, uh, you know, got into the entrepreneurship world, fell in love with it. And then, uh, you know, took, took what I learned on my first go around, my first opportunity with entrepreneurship and then rolled it into bottle breacher. And so it was kind of cool how it all worked out, but, um, you know, we actually, it was a pretty seamless transition for us in the fact that we never went any time without a paycheck. And I know that's one of the hard things for a lot of transitioning veterans is, you know, you get out, you don't really have anything or, you know, if you do, it's something temporary. I mean, we went from getting out of the Navy to our Shark Tank episode airing the very next month. And, um, you know, so, I mean, we, we went from having a you know steady military paycheck to, um, you know, just getting destroyed, um, in the entrepreneurship world with, you know, a huge back order and a bunch of orders coming in. So, um, even though it wasn't a smooth transition, it, 
as far as, you know, I mean, we worked our tails off and we were getting hammered. Uh, it was a smooth transition as far as financially. We never, my family never wanted for anything. Yeah, that's the things I've been following you for a while. And, you know, there, a lot of people know the bottle breachers, the, the bottle breacher brand now, but there was a lot that went into it. And I think I read part of your story was you actually started in your garage. And that's like, it's almost like the garage band type thing. It's like, it was, you know, the garage bands, and then you have the computer tech. So we start from the garage. So, I mean, that must have been a huge transition. And you started that while you were in the Navy, right? Yeah, I was a, I was a SEAL instructor um, teaching guys on the West Coast how to take down ships. Uh, it was called BBSS. Um, and it was, it was pretty wild because before I got out, I was... Uh, I was running the VBSL and uh, at trade at training detachment on the West Coast, and uh, so that was a really, really uh, high stress, you know, um, job. You know, you had to, you, you know, you had to. Uh, usually, you had about fifty guys going through, you know, forty to fifty seals going through your training block. So you had to, you know, have all the teaching aides be ready to, you know, stand up in front of those guys, know what the hell you were talking about, and then you had to coordinate naval ships, um, swift boats, um, you know, aircraft, role players. I mean, all be accountable for all the, you know, weapons, ammunition, um, you know, just, and just big, um, big movements. And the cool thing about that job transitioning from that job to, uh, uh, entrepreneurship was it really, it, it was one of the greatest pieces of, preparation and training that I ever got just because in an, in a cell like that, where there's so many moving parts, so many things that you can't control. It's just like entrepreneurship. You get really good at problem solving. You get really good at controlling what you can control and not worrying about what you can't. And then being, having contingency plans and being flexible and ready to solve problems when they arise, not if they arise, but when they arise. And so, um, you know, so I would do that job during the day and sometimes late into the night. And then as soon as I got off work, I would come home and I would start working on the orders that had come in during the day. You know, I would make them myself and then, um, package them up and get to the post office if it wasn't too late, you know? So it was a pretty crazy final two years of the military for me. Um, you know, not, no vacations, no weekends. I mean, a lot of stress, two young kids, but you know, I think I'm reminded of, uh, one of my favorite sayings is that, you know, entrepreneurs work like nobody's willing to work so they can live lives like nobody's able to live. And I mean, to me, in many ways, that's the American dream, you know, being able to build, you know, being able to build a legacy and being able to build something, uh, substantial and leave behind a legacy, um, you know, for, for your family that, you know, puts them in a better position to succeed. And, you know, that's one of the things I wanted to, to mention a lot about going from a Navy SEAL to an entrepreneur. But how do you go from, you know, being this, like, top-of-the-line operator to, you know, you've been deployed multiple times, you're so used to being kitted up, you're so used to that op tempo, just that, that military, you know, hey, I'm going to strap on a gun, I'm going to go do some stuff. So all of a sudden, bam, you're an entrepreneur. You still, it's like not like I'm missing it, but... How did you transition from that? Yeah, you know, sometimes, um, sometimes that, you know, that that's rough. I think, I think the roughest thing is, um, you know, not being around uh, the guys. You know, that that's one of the hardest things. It's really, 
it's really common to separate yourself from that world and uh, kind of feel like you're on an island and like you left your boys behind. And, and that's, that's been one of the hardest things for me. And that's, for me, that was one of the things that I realized real early that I was going to struggle if I didn't find some way to support. And that's why we started working with a lot of nonprofits and trying to support in that way. Um, because I learned pretty quickly that, you know, you don't have to wear a uniform or carry a gun to serve your country and serve the brotherhood and, you know, serve men and women in uniform. You can do it a, a bunch of different ways. And so I tried to get plugged in, in that, in a new way and serve in a new way. And so that was, I think one part of it, but then the other part of it was, uh, you know, the adrenaline. I mean, that, that stuff can get really addictive. Um, and, entrepreneurship it can can be in a, a way as well you know it's when you go like for us when we kind of got thrown into the deep end um you know we 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 went from having six employees to 35 employees in about two weeks after shark tank and we did a million in sales you know the week of shark tank so you know there's there's a, there's adrenaline in that as well um it, it's it's a different type for sure but you know just also the you know, the challenges and the problem solving that come along with it, um, you know, gives you a little, gives you a little bit of that, um, that appetite for challenge that you have. And, and, you know, I, I, you know, I, uh, had, had to, you know, buy myself, uh, a, a muscle car, you know, and, and, you know, look for opportunities that, you know, go fast and, you know, flying helos. And, you know, I mean, there's plenty of other things that you can do, um, on the outside that, you know, will, you know, come close to curbing that adrenaline rush every once in a while. But, um, I definitely do miss it at times. And I think more than anything, I just feel blessed and fortunate that I got to do it. Yeah, that's cool. And I, I noticed like a lot of the social media posts in the past four to five months have been a lot to do with SIG. So is that the yeah. other way to kind of get that adrenaline back? Do you see any uh, competitive shooting in the future? Absolutely. I mean, definitely, I don't think that competitive shooting will ever be something in my future. You know, I think that the guys and gals that do that, and I think SIG has some of the best in the world. It, you could argue that you have the best in the world, but um, they, they have to do that every day. And there's no way that I can, you know, that's not, I don't think that's ever going to be, I don't think that's ever going to be high on my priority list. I do want to, you know, continue to improve, you know, in all walks of life, including my shoot, you know, the, the shooting aspect of my life. But for me, that was just a, I think that was a God thing. And I think it was a blessing. Um, you know, I was working with a publicist at the time who represented John Ratzenberger, who, um, used to play Cliff Clavin in the show Cheers. And he had gone out to, uh, six hours to speak because he had a TV show called made in the USA or something along those lines. And because six hours of product, a lot of people don't know, but it's actually made in the USA. Uh, he'd go out there and speak, uh, to the, you know, their staff and their employees and whatnot. And so my publicist asked me if I wanted to go meet the crew at SIG. And I, re I was like, Oh, maybe, I, maybe she's talking about just go get a tour. But she actually knew a lot of the people, uh, that ran, uh, marketing, you know, for SIG and, so we started talking with them and, um, you know, I told them right off the bat, you know, what my background was, what I was passionate about. And I think, you know, they, uh, the chief marketing officer at six hours, a guy named Tom Taylor, great man. I think he realized that there could be something more there than just, 
um, you know, carrying bottle breacher products or putting, you know, having a six hour branded bottle breacher product, but we could actually do some more stuff. Um, if I, if I was interested and I absolutely was, and I saw it as a new challenge. And so, you know, just working with SIG, promoting them in, in a way, kind of being a brand ambassador for them, you know, that was an opportunity that presented itself. And, you know, I was, I was all over it and it, it's been, it's been a blast. And, you know, I had no idea when I started working with SIG, just how much they were into. I had carried a SIG 226 in the SEAL teams and, you know, I was the ordinance rep at SEAL Team 3 for about four years in my platoon. So I had a lot of experience with six-hour firearms, the pistols anyway. And I was very impressed with how reliable they were and how, you know, you know, especially with the type of training that we do and the amount of abuse that we put them through, you know, always, you know, bumping into things, falling off of stuff, you know, really extreme weather conditions, salt water, which is about as, you know, brutal on, you know, um, you know, machines as anything out there. And so, um, I was really impressed with the pistols, but I didn't realize that six hour actually has their own optics division. They have their own ammo. Obviously they've got carbines. Um, and I mean, they're, they have a CEO named Ron Cohen, who's really pushing the pace there in innovation. I, I just had a meeting with him last week and he was talking about how, you know, he was, he was talking about how their innovation budget is many times higher than any other manufacturer out there. And that's something that's really important to him. And so, um, they just launched a machine gun at SHOT Show. And I think I got in at a really good time there because I think they're, they're about to, uh, I, you know, world domination comes to mind when I think of what six hours up to and, and some of the other innovations that we got to see when I was out there last week. And it's a really good time to be there for sure. And that's when you know, and you got me sold on it because, uh, I started off with SIG with that, uh, it's the M400. It's like a pistol right. M4. Right. And the reason I bought it was because I was border patrol at one time. So they had the border patrol commemorative. But I tell right. you what, I, I shot that thing, man. And it was like the best thing ever. So I think it was my fifteenth uh, or tenth wedding anniversary. I had my wife get me the Sig Scorpion nineteen eleven. Right, and now I'm actually thinking about getting rid of my Glock forty three for one of the compacts, man. And a lot of it has been, you know, this next transition to the the compact is because I've been following the Sig things because of you. I mean, yeah. it's definitely they're yeah. I could talk Sig all day long now because I'm like like never shot anything like it before. Yeah, it's you know, I mean, there's a lot of great firearms manufacturer out there. I mean, you just mentioned Block. They have they have great stuff as well. But I mean when you look at um when you look at what they're doing across the board, I mean there's I I think the only company that I've even seen that's even close would be maybe H and K, you know, with like what everything I mean they've got good pistols, they've got good carbines, you know, they've got machine they've got a ton of machine gun contracts in the DOD. And that's a, that's a big thing for, uh, you know, firearms manufacturers, whether or not they're pulling in contracts, you know? And so, um, SIG just landed the M 17, the pistol for the army. I know they just landed a SOCOM suppressor contract and I'll be really surprised if this new three, three, eight, I think, uh, Norma machine gun that they came out with, I'll be really surprised if that doesn't get picked up as well. And so, I, th- I know a couple units just picked up the SIG MCX. You know, that's uh, one of their carbines. And, mm-hmm. 
if you, if, if you're looking at compacts, compacts, I, I really recommend, you know, looking at the 365 because that's yeah. done it a year. And <laughs> I mean, the, the magazine capacity that that has compared to, you know, the, the blocks that you can get right now, it's, it's double. Yeah, well, that's I mean, the that's thing. A, you're buying a, a block for a six shot nine millimeter and the, the 365 comes with 10 plus ones. I mean, yep. Yeah. And I, I got to see behind the curtain while I was there last week. Stand by because there's some pretty cool innovations coming right behind with that 365. They're definitely not done done yet, and I won't be surprised to see you know another gun of the year, or I, I won't be surprised to see people just blown away with the innovation because of the leadership there and how you know how how much they're pushing innovation there. It's pretty unbelievable. Yeah, and you can see it over the past you know five six years that the change in SIG. It's crazy because I worked CID for a bit, and I carried one of those uh, the SIGs, and I was like, ah, man, I'm not a big fan, but you know, but now with with everything they have coming out, I love it. I love it. Yep. And now you have the uh, is John Wick going with the? Uh, yep, yep. So yeah, that's, uh, that's going to be a big one too. <laughs> John John Wick three coming out, I think this summer. Uh, they have the the MPX in that and then I think Halle Berry's carrying a three sixty five. So, you know, it's kinda cool. I'll be watching, you know, I'm not usually a big fan of what's coming out of Hollywood, but every once in a while they get it right. You know, and they're uh you know, like Jack Ryan, they you know, they have SIGs in there and you know, John Wick, you know, of course they're using SIGs in there and you know, it's just like and these aren't like SIGs not paying you know, SIGs not paying these movie production companies that yeah. use their product They're, they just want to use the best and so it's it's really cool to see you know it's really cool to see sig you know getting into the spotlight and uh you know being rewarded for their innovation and their quality products that's awesome brother well i know you are a busy man and you got a ton going on uh, one thing i wanted to um to bring up is do you have anything that you want to announce anything uh anything you want to share um, you know what? I, not, not really. I think, um, I think the only thing I, the only thing I want to share is, is maybe, maybe my faith, you know, cause that's something that, you know, it gets overlooked a lot, but I mean, that's the most important thing in the world to me. You know, a lot of the stuff that I've done, it's great and I'm proud of it, but it's not eternal, you know, and, and for any, any young, any youngsters out there listening to your podcast, or anybody in general that, you know, is, uh, trying to become successful. I think that's something that's often overlooked is a relationship with God. And I'm not ashamed of it. And I'm, I'm proud of that because I, you know, I've, yeah, I've come from places where that's not, it's not talked about in many ways it's frowned upon. And, you know, um, matter, matter of fact, I am working on a faith-based book and, um, I'm, it's sorry. It took, took a while for my memory to get there and remember <laughs> that I'm actually working on a faith-based book, but, um, you know, that I'm hoping that that'll launch in uh, 2019 and I want to spend the rest of my life serving in one way, shape or form. You know, I'm going to serve this country till the day I die and I'm, and I'm going to serve, you know, other men and women, um, in, in trying to be a good example and trying to be a good witness, uh, so that one day when I get up to heaven, my heavenly father says to me, well, well done, good and faithful servant. And, uh, you know, and I know that's not cool. You know, I know that that's, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's not nah, something that most people is, talk about. You know what but it is, it's actually really cool. 
And I'm glad you brought that up. I, I didn't know if you wanted me to touch on that or not, because I know you, you do have a really strong belief system. And I think yeah. that's one of the, the one of the things I do admire about your uh, about your your drive too. Is like a lot of it is faith based, and that's one of the best. This podcast is all about hey, you know what? It's not about politics. It's not about this. It's not about that. It's about hey, you know what? You've been through something. What guided you through that? And you can tell that your faith has guided you through some of those difficult times. Absolutely, man. That's you know I didn't get a. I didn't mention it, but when I started Bottle Breacher, you know, it started with prayer. You know, it, it started with a young man that was had, had just done something cool, but was try, knew he had to transition with a wife and a kid and bills to pay. And, it, you know, it started with, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because I, I don't know any better. And I think a lot of times when we ask, just like when you ask your real dad, you know, dad, what do you, what do you think? I mean, there's no parent on earth that's you know, a decent parent that's going to steer you in the wrong direction. And sometimes they might give you advice that doesn't make sense to you. And, you know, Bottle Breacher is a perfect example of divine advice I got that didn't make sense to myself or anybody else. But that's one cool thing about my testimony is that I feel like, and I've seen it in my own life, that oftentimes if you seek God in things, he will take what doesn't make sense to anybody else and he'll make it beautiful. You know, and that's what I feel like he's, what I feel like he's done there or here. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he's, what he's got for me next. And I know that I'm going to follow him till the day I die. And, um, it's just, you know, it's just something that I like to share with people because I care about people and I don't want them. I don't want them to end up, you know, chasing the wrong things for their entire life and never find success, happiness, or fulfillment, you know? And, and so that's why for me, it's worth being, you know, taboo or uncool and bringing up stuff that most people don't want to talk about. No, like I said, man, it's definitely not taboo or uncool. And I really appreciate you bringing that up, especially in this podcast, man. Well, I ain't going to let you go. And I just want to say I'm a huge fan. You know that I've got my own, uh, bottle breachers that I ordered from you guys for my book for the podcast itself. Obviously I'm not going to send you your own, uh, protectors bottle breacher because <laughs> you have enough, but Hey, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, absolutely, Jason. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it.